Hello everybody and welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour. Today you are joined by myself, Brian Campion, and Alex Kulesh, back from his lovely holiday. Alex, how are you? I'm fantastic. I am well rested and slightly exhausted. Well rested and well hiked. It sounds like exactly, exactly. I was in in Peru for a couple of weeks. Uh, did some pretty intense hiking. Got up to four thousand seven hundred fifty meters above sea level, and I can just say that altitude is no no joke. Uh, didn't get sick or anything, but it's not easy. Not easy. Yeah. Speaking about sea level, Chris O'Reilly isn't here today, but he is somewhere in a beach at the moment at some beach handball tournament. Do you know exactly what it is again? I've, I've slipped my mind. I think he's just at the, there's just like a big Swedish one. Um, and yeah. uh, I think he's doing it with Handball's Canal and uh, the Swedish kind of news site. And of what I've seen of some of the videos in that tournament, it just seems to be a bunch of normal handball players playing beach handball, but like a lot of them. And I've seen some videos of like a lot of content, uh, contact for uh, beach handball there's some proper tackles yeah. going in so uh i'm sure he's having a lot of fun there yeah there's the, i think there's kind of two types of beach handball there's the beach handball that indoor players play for in the summer with a few beers and it's just normal handball full contact on sand and then there's actual beach handball the the other sport you know I, I, when i went to play beach handball for the first time ever at my club and it was just full on tackles people throwing throwing each other on the ground nothing to do with spinning or two points or any of that stuff just full-on indoor handball on sand yeah so i think they're already sometimes actually not aware of the yeah. other rules sometimes i i do find it you know you you get um normal indoor handball players playing beach handball and for there's like two ways of going some players are just like you know what it's not for me i'm just going to keep playing normal handball and other players just pick up beach handball in two seconds and they're doing 360s uh better than some players have been doing it for a long time in like a few games and by the end these tournaments do end up looking like beach handball tournaments How, how's your 360 these days it's been a long time since i've seen you actually play any beach handball i'm still i'm still spinning um top spinner some say top spinner top spinner is that your nickname is it <laughs> just uh, it, it, maybe maybe contentious some people may contend uh, that nickname but uh, I've <laughs> I've heard it bandied around most yeah. of it may have been me but like uh, <laughs> you've, you, you've walked into a room and someone hey where's Top Spinner are you talking about me yeah 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 we're talking about you that's like it. when I played handball back in back in Germany they called me the kangaroo back in the day but it was only for that short six months when I was in fourth time just that that was the only nickname I had I think Sweaty Hands was the one I was playing for Ireland for a little bit at the very beginning Jeez, I thought I was always sweaty hands. So um. actually, no, I was I was shit fuck sorry for at one stage. Yeah, shit fuck uh, sorry, you were, you... yeah. Because when I used to mess up a, a concept or a pass or something like that, I often say shit, shit fuck sorry as, as a package, you know, as one phrase or one word even. And Alex there was sweaty hands. I think we all suffered from sweaty hands though. It was a very sweaty handed period. I feel like when I think back to the Irish team. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, 
Yeah, we're rambling anyway, this. Uh, <laughs> it, it is summer. It is summer. It is so summer. There's no, at this stage, there's not that much handball on. Uh, you're back from Romania, where the under-19s women's championship happened. And we, we have talked about this. I listened to the morning clubs. I think we've talked about the under-19 women's uh, European championship in quite a lot of detail, just, you know, the desperation of summer handball. But it looked like a really good tournament. And some of your footage uh, was all over social media. So that looked really good. Yeah, no, from from a work perspective, it was really great. I had a, had a really good time. And I think it's really good, interesting to go there and see these kind of budding players who in about maybe three or maybe four years, you're going to really see come on to the, uh, to the women's scene. And it really is like, I said it to you guys in the group, when you watch that Hungary, the Hungary team, it really is like the the team in the Mighty Ducks that nobody can beat. And uh, they just are head and shoulders. The final, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Like, I mean, they'd already beaten Denmark, hockey Denmark. And then first half, it looked, I think Denmark were winning, if I remember correctly, is it 1916 or 2017 or something along those lines. They were winning by uh, two, three goals at halftime. And Denmark had played, like, played their socks off. And, but you just knew what could happen. It's like they weren't, the Hungary weren't even trying, just came out in the second half and like, oh, we're just going to start playing now. And then it just was no contest. And it looked like Hung- uh, Denmark couldn't play handball anymore. And Julia Scali- Scalioni, their top player, just completely disappeared. And then Hungary were just like an absolute team of Mat- Matthias Gitzel spinning. And the be- the best one against one you can see. I mean, their one against one game is just so much better than every other team at the tournament. It was just a joke. And I think that's maybe why, or a certain recipe, why they're so good at underage handball. It's just they are so good at one against one and probably the best team I've ever seen at winning penalties. It's just to just do the same thing over and over again and they just absolutely crush teams and then teams just kind of wilt and then turn into nothing. Um, and I, I, do t- I do kind of feel like there's only a matter of time before you keep producing this amazing amount of talent. It is eventually going to transfer over to the national team. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen but I feel like you just can't have you can't be winning all these tournaments back to back and then not have a transit somehow to the senior team. And there's definitely some players from this generation that are going to be very interested to see where they're going to end up. Uh, Petra Simon, obviously winning MVP, playing at FTC. People will know her obviously already in the Champions League. And she is a she's a huge talent. So I think she's going to be one definitely to watch and keep a close eye on. Um, but yeah, it was a great tournament. Had a great time. Romania was very interesting. I like going back. I like going there for for anything handball related because the Romanian fans are always always a bit crazy. But I think we'll maybe we'll start the episode. I mean, we've, we're rambling now for a little yeah, yeah, while already. Been, but we have been rambling a little bit, but we we do have a lot of news. You know, over the yeah. last couple of days, uh, over the last week, there's been a lot of transfer news that has dropped. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Do also want to mention that we're still working on a bigger episode um, that will cover some of the you know the report from TV2 in Denmark about match fixing allegations so we're still working on getting a really quality informed episode around that because it is a sensitive topic so um, that that is still to come um, for now uh, I also want to say thanks to everyone who's actually stuck around on the Patreon we do know it's uh, it's off season um, there's not that much handball on, but uh, people have still stuck around. We will continue bringing out episodes like these where we're covering some of the bigger news going around the handball world. You know, teams are going back into preseason, so 
very soon there's going to be some proper handball news coming your way as well as some bigger episodes over the summer that we hope to cover some interesting topics and yeah get ready for a new season and yeah just have to thank everyone who has supported us through the patreon if you haven't uh if you want to sign up now that that would be a slightly weird decision but uh we will appreciate that <laughs> it is go to <laughs> patreon.com uh forward slash handball hour uh to sign up you can sign up for as little as one dollar a month uh but we will get on to on with this show and i think the the biggest news that has been really developing um over the last week has been the Kolstad um financial issues and uh, you know I, I listened to the last morning club and it it all seemed you know the reaction from you and Chris was you know ah, it's all going to be fine it's all it's all okay they're going to figure it out and for now really does seem like it's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, just in the last two hours, there's been a, an article released on TV2 Norway's um, website where they've outlined that there are s- seven names or seven key players or seven stars, whatever you want to call them, who have agreed to take a 30% cut for the 2023-24 season. Uh, they would be Sander Sagesson, Goran Johansson or Goran Sorgart, whoever you want to call them, uh, Magnus Rudd, uh, Vetle Age, Torbjorn uh, Bergerud and Sigvaldi Gudjonsson and, and Magnus Gollerud sorry I'm also Magnus Gollerud there so Sigvaldi will be sticking around unlike his Icelandic teammate who has gone uh, Smarsson who's gone off to Magdeburg I think some people might have expected more outgoings but that core group and probably the most important players to the project have decided to kind of maybe band together and stick around and take the 30% pay cut for the season the, uh, the club has announced that it will try to re, uh, say compensate the players with prize money should they win whatever competitions I think everything above a million profit I presume that's a million local currency profit will then go back to those players who decided to take the pay cut because I, I would imagine everyone outside of those seven names is probably on fairly normal to low wa- or standard wages uh, for the league but those those players taking the cut are the one who are lightening the burden for the for the project. Yeah, and I have to say with Janis Marsen, it's it's really understandable. And I think the club has been quite accommodating. Um they did release him from the contract after he just didn't show up to preseason testing, which and it seemed like at that stage he already had the contract with Magdeburg essentially signed. But looking at it from his perspective, he was they're one of their first actual star signings. Um, he came in quite early uh, last season and led this team to a league title, a qualification for the Champions League. And, you know, his reward was essentially, here's a pay cut. And I'm sure he wasn't on the big, big money that the new players are coming in on. He was probably at a level below that. And he got a pay cut and was probably going to end up on the bench uh, behind that, yeah. back, that Norwegian backcourt of Sagesen, Sugor and uh, Rud. You know, it's it's understandable that he's going to not be too happy about that. And uh, the club released him from the contract without too much issue, allowed him to go to Magdeburg, where I think he will be 
a really good addition to that Magdeburg team. He he did show he was um, a quality player, and they you know, from Magdeburg they are they were lacking the depth. Um, first, without Christiansen, who who will be injured for a long time, I would say. Um, I'd say about half a season. He had such a severe shoulder injury that he then definitely made worse by playing in the final with a dislocated shoulder and becoming MVP. Uh, but it was prob- he'll he'll say it's worth it. Well, I'd say he said he said it was worth it at the time. I don't know if he fully uh, believes that at this moment. But without without him, they need the the backup in the backcourt, and they also. Lost Marco Bejak, who you know, despite uh, his age, stepped up at the right times throughout the season. So that depth is very much needed for Magdeburg. So actually, quite a good signing for them because I was getting a little bit worried and not seeing too many players come in for Magdeburg. But otherwise, in Kolstad, it's it, yeah, it's a weird situation. I, I was reading an article on um, VG, uh, the sports website in a sports newspaper in Norway with um, Kolstad's general manager, Jostein Sievertsen, who um, who this whole kind of idea came from, who kind of brought Ray Matusen in, brought the sponsors in. And his main message in this interview was that they were just a little bit too ambitious too fast, which I kind of... Yeah, it feels like it, right? That they they uh, went from kind of nothing to a season where they competed at a really good level, won the Norwegian League, and then just got these big, big stars in immediately, paying uh, you know Sagasin uh, a contract that's equivalent to his Kiel contract. That is what the the news was at the time. So you know that's that'll be just under kind of a million euro per year. That's a huge, huge. Um, salary to take on along with uh, the other Norwegian players and he just said you know they had too little margin of safety uh, essentially oh. everything needed to go right for them to uh, take on these players and uh, you know the kind of global economic conditions didn't quite help which I think is a, a pretty weak excuse uh, but he didn't fully stand by that one in this interview so Kolstad initially released this uh, statement saying, okay, it's global economic conditions, the Norwegian kroner is weak, but he actually just said it it was relatively bad planning, but they're still in a good position. They just need to have an incredible season next year, which is uh, a lot of pressure on this team. Yeah, I mean, what what in your books do you think it would an incredible season be? Obviously, winning the domestic league and cup and get into the quarterfinals of the Champions League would that be an incredible season do you think? Yeah essentially in that um, interview he mentioned that for next season for them to kind of stay at this level they have booked nine Champions League games in the big arena in Trondheim of 9,000 people so for nine Champions League games they do have to qualify out of the group which you know it's, it's very possible I really I don't see that as being a a wild ambition for this team, um, and yeah, they 
it, it's just they're going to be reliant on that income from the big games and the full arenas and they have to be good that's the thing you know they've booked nine games in this big arena and if they start just losing they lose their first three four games in the champions league will that arena still be filling up for the second half of the group stage even if they qualify in like the sixth position in the group and barely scrape it with two wins is that going to be enough I don't think so. I think they have to, you know, they have to keep the excitement up. The first few games are always going to be really, you know, uh, amazing. The the crowd, everyone is actually still into this project, but they have to keep the crowd with them. Um, so they have to keep performing at a high level. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at their opening games in the Champions League as well, they're going to be away to Pellister, which I think they probably would fancy themselves to, I mean, if Pellister are no, by no means any pushovers but they probably fancy themselves to to get a win uh, maybe a narrow win there then the first home game is going to be against Kelsa maybe you can write that one off I can't um, not that sure but I mean look at Kelsa last season how they were shocked in some of their early games as well so maybe there's a there's an early surprise there and then they would be playing against Zagreb away so I mean we get a a good feeling for where they're at as a club and We'll see maybe what, what some of their secondary players are like because it's all all good and well having a a good start starting seven, but the wheels can fall off pretty quickly if you don't have any kind of the, these good secondary players to maybe come in. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they perform in those opening three matches, especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that all of that is a that's a good way to start um, with, with these kind of two winnable games, which is. Uh, very doable for them but yeah let's see what they do it, you know despite the issues that they're having uh, to an extent that the general manager actually had to get a loan of 2 million Norwegian kroner from his parents um, oh my to gosh. keep it afloat uh, which was a pretty kind of ridiculous piece of news uh, from my perspective but um, it does seem you know they still have their big sponsor they just have to be creative around what else goes on and I think there is potential if they, if they do kind of perform at a high level this season there is potential that they do build the extra sponsors get creative you know we saw Kielsa how you know their approach to sponsorship being you know lots of smaller sponsors even signing players to be able to bring sponsors on board as long as they are uh, kind of smart commercially i think they can keep these go this thing going but there is a risk you know there's a risk that they just don't perform if if this team that they've invested in is only good enough for like a quarter final place not even a quarterfinal place. We know how competitive the Champions League is. Um, for a couple of seasons, they need new investments, and you know they, they might might hit a wall. And obviously, there's this example of AG Copenhagen that um, always comes to mind with stories like this, where it was two ambitions. But in this case, it's not. Uh, you know, the general manager um, has said that you know they don't have a kind of money bags rich person in the back who's just going to support a losing uh, financially project. It is a kind of fully commercial 
um, venture that they're going to try to make work. And I think that is a, that's actually comforting that this is a team that does have a solid commercial backing behind it. They are too ambitious, but they'll find their level and interests will just increase with this club as they compete in the Champions League. And I think they, they will survive. So hopefully that, that goes well. It's just a shame that they have the same colour jerseys as AG Copenhagen as well. I mean, that's just like a nightmare. <laughs> just the, the reverse and home kids are the exact same colours. All they need to do is cut off the cut off the sleeves and they'll be just a new generation of AG Copenhagen. But it is mad the similarities to it as well. When you think back to the AG Copenhagen team as well, it's kind of this kind of Scandi Nordic super team. So there is, I think that's probably, I mean, probably where the comparisons really stop apart from the kit colours as well. But I did like how uh, the general manager, uh, Sievertson, was quite open and honest about the whole thing as well. He's, um, you mentioned it as well, but he said he's been accused of being over ambitious and naive. And with the, this result in hand now, we probably have been. You know, it's a pretty a pretty uh, straightforward and honest quote, I think, from him. So I think it's probably the only way to do it because if you're going to try and build a trust with, if they do survive this season and everything kind of works out and they kind of get by on the, by the skin of their teeth, if they want to kind of make sign-ins or people to join the club next season, you do need to be seen maybe as being open and honest to make uh, whatever or grow for next season as well. But looking at the handball community in the past, I think handball players are fine to take a punt with such things. If we look at various projects which have struggled, like Vardar in the past or Kielsa to a certain extent, didn't really stop them from signing players at certain points either, did it? So handball players are, are uh, maybe not as allergic to it as maybe in other sports they're, they're willing to take a risk for a season. Yeah, and I think the you know the Norwegian players that did sign up for the project do have the underlying ambition to increase the popularity of handball in Norway. That's kind of the goal of this project to take advantage of the increase in popularity on the men's side and just keep pushing it forward. So I think um, for them, there's more to it than just and um, it's not mercenaries essentially that you you kind of get with these projects sometimes it's it's really players who are committed to the country and the sport in their homeland which i think is an extra element that will make sure that this project succeeds at least in the short to medium term and so very good good johnson is probably the only non-norwegian in there and he's just the nicest guy ever so i mean he was always <laughs> going to stick around nicest smile on handball um from one kind of big story to another one which is kind of making the rounds on social media and which one you made a lovely graphic for uh, is Andre Gomez who a lot of people were touting that he was going to be playing for Fuxa Berlin next season and I think a lot of people liked the the sound of that of him maybe teaming up with uh, Matthias Gitzel it was a very interesting combination there it's probably one of the most direct handball players in Andre Gomez and uh, an absolute magician in the background of Matthias Gitzel uh, but it didn't work out he's on his way to Saudi Arabia you maybe know more a little bit more details about this story, Alex. But what what do you make of the the move? It's it's pretty wild to be honest. Um, the this move came out of nowhere, and it, it you know it has parallels to what we're seeing in football uh, with Saudi Arabia having a large amount of money to to spread around, which has now kind of hit handball. So um, he's going to a Saudi cl- club called Al Safa who um are you know have been kind of relatively 
good in in Saudi Saudi Arabia, but last season they actually finished ninth in the league, so nothing. You know, it's it's not even a top team, but they've obviously decided to invest some money in it, and um, the the wage that comes from there is pretty ridiculous. We're talking um, a base salary of six hundred thousand euro, increasing to nine hundred thousand euro in bonuses, which is really it's probably you know top five salaries in the world, uh, especially if you consider the fact that Saudi Arabia doesn't have any income tax. So essentially, he's just getting most of that money straight into his pocket. It's huge. The, the, this, uh, And the very interesting thing was that from, you know, this news came out through Bild, the Ger- German newspaper, and it was a lot of comments from his agent. And a comment really piqued my interest where, at the end of the kind of of the article that announced this, it was like, uh, football is not the only place where uh, Saudi Arabia is interested. So it, it almost seems like the start of something, not a um, kind of random splash in the ocean where a, a club just decides to, to, to buy this player. And I, I would also say that you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this club had actually paid some severance to Melsingen to get rid of that contract because that was the initial um, issue with Andre Gomez potentially moving to Fixer Berlin is because they he had a really high contract in Melsingen of 600,000 euro or reported to be around 600,000 euro per year and ha- still had two years left on that contract. So the... It basically Andrew Gomez is saying, "Well, I'm not, I'm not cancelling this contract until you, uh, unless you pay me off." Uh, so it, the the club may have also contributed to that severance a little bit as well. But just come on, Andre Gomez, come on. Yeah, but I, I read somewhere online that that they were asking for twenty five percent of the contract to release him. So um, would that be around a quarter of a million? Um, I think maybe I'm not sure, but um, but like you're saying there, come on, come on, but like. In your heart of hearts, would you turn down an offer like that to play one year over there and almost earn, earn a million on tax money? Um, but like, so he's already he is already on a big contract, and yeah, he is. How old is he? So twenty four. Um, and he's just, you know, we had so much hope for Andre Gomes, right? You know, we yeah. he's such an exciting player. He's in the peak of his career and he just he's literally you know he already failed in the Bundesliga he had a, a really poor season with Melsingen last year he had some in injury issues at some stage but realistically he was just quite poor that also transferred to his Portugal national team career where he he would also drop down a level in terms of his ability and instead of you know looking to improve maybe staying with Melsungen and trying to prove himself going to top team he just goes to Saudi Arabia which is not a serious handball league it's just not um and maybe that's his level maybe he's just figured out you know what I'm I'm happy to go and do something 
um, where, where I'm relaxed. But I'm, I'm disappointed because I really like uh, Andre Gomez as a player because he's just so dynamic. He's so exciting. And um, it's, you know, he's probably giving up his spot in the Portuguese national team, like with Martin Costa in at left back now, Calvo Calanchi, he's probably right down the pecking order. And you know, my question is, like, how do you recover from that? How does he come back into top-level handball after that? It's, it's short-sighted because he, he gets this payout for a year, but then then what, where's he going to go? He's like, who's going to buy into this player that just has been playing in the desert for, for a year? I don't know. I, I think probably he's probably thinking, look, this is only a year. I was troubled with injuries. I didn't have the best season in the Bundesliga. Let me go out here, work on getting fit and getting or staying injury free for a season in a very low taxing type of league. And maybe he was thinking to himself, look, I'm not really made for the Bundesliga. Maybe it's physically too taxing for him and he just that's why he was getting injured in the first place and why his form dipped. And maybe he's the kind of player that needs needs a needs an easier league to then to perform at that really high intensity kind of style that he does have. Like um so maybe he's thinking along those lines, let's, let's just get out there, make an absolute bag and get, uh, get fit again and then come back. And then, look, there will be loads of teams that'll take up, loads of special teams in like the European League and stuff like that that will take a punt on him again. He'll be 25 next year when he comes back. He still has loads of, he's still really, really young in handball terms as well. Um, so I think I could understand maybe from his perspective why he's doing it. And, and I think a lot of people, if they're being honest with themselves, if they're offered that type of money to go out for just to take a year almost like a year sabbatical to go out there and do that I think they really wouldn't turn it down themselves I know it's not that it's not ambitious or anything like that but yeah I, I can I can somehow understand it I don't think it's great I don't I don't want to go the way football's going I don't think anyone wants that but um, on, a, on a personal level you can kind of understand it Do you think it's a it's a risk this kind of uh, again this ominous uh, message from the agent of Andre Gomez that said you know this is you know kind of this is the start of Saudi Arabia do you think there will be a flow of players from Europe to Saudi Arabia I mean we don't know I mean I think we it's really hard to know what what the the idea with everybody but it would seem like to me that there's a big emphasis on that now in Saudi Arabia it'll, it'll probably have a, I mean when someone someone does something in football it's always going to have a tri- trickle down effect to some of the other sports I think we'll never see it at the same degree that we see in football, obviously. But I'd say you probably could see a handful of players moving over. Um, but I don't think it's anything that anyone really wants to see. But just people being, people's morals have been tested <laughs> and just been yeah. dragged out because the number is just so high that you just cannot say no. You could have wealth for your family for years just by playing one or two seasons over there. Uh, and we have seen it in some bits with with Qatar back when before Qatar hosted the World Championship. So we have some experience with it already. But but this could be now the second wave of it, and it could be a lot, a lot bigger with um, some of the rich Saudi heads getting a taste for high level sport and high level sport in their countries. So I don't think it's anything anyone wants to see, but I think we will see a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah, I think it is part of this ambition of Saudi Arabia to. You know, they want to host the World Cup. They probably want to host an Olympics at some stage as a long-term goal. And, you know, there is already a flow of players going into the Saudi League. And at the moment, it's um, 
actually, you know, it's, so even just Al Safa, that same club, they signed um, Al Handawi, who was the Egyptian goalkeeper, Egyptian national team goalkeeper from Zamalek going to Saudi Arabia. They also signed a couple Bahraini national team players. We know how good Bahrain have been over the last while. Mohamed Mohamed going to uh, Al Safa as well. So there's there's a little bit of a flow or a change of direction in the Middle East from you know Qatar and Bahrain, where this has probably sat before Egypt, where um, there's uh, there's a quality handball league already. So there's a bit of a flow going from those countries. We also saw uh, Leandro Dutra, um, the Brazilian player, going from Vardar to um, um, Al-Khalij, I think, which is another Saudi team. So the flow is starting in that direction. But uh, I think Andre Gomez is the, the highest profile player definitely um and it, it kind of it has sent warning signals into europe i think i would say this has opened up a bit of a gate um because i do know I, I've, in, on the football side uh i i've read an article from new york times from Tarek panja and what happened in football was basically the all the agents just got ravenous so every agent in europe saw that there's money in Saudi Arabia and just started calling every single club, every single representative to get a contact. And like all this, this huge network, you know, the dark network of agents that work in football, trading players, all just saw this gold rush and started making it happen. I wonder if the same thing will happen in handball where, you know, if there's a few players at the end of contracts, their agents might give a call to Saudi Arabia. Um, I also, I, just looking at Al Safa uh, handball club's Instagram, um, there's a couple of handball players that follow their um, their Instagram page. These being Mirza Terzic, who uh, is following Al uh, Al Safa. So interesting to see if he's looking for a little payout at the end of his career. And the other player that follows him, and maybe this is just kind of a coincidence, but. Miguel Martins follows right. Safa uh, Handball Club on Instagram, which, uh, my God. you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Miguel Martins and his performance over the last while. Maybe he's looking for a sabbatical as well to hang out with his good friend, Andre Gomes. Yeah, yeah, God, that would be a, that would be a really mad one. But I mean, Mirza Terzic going out there to get a bag, I think it's probably one of the most predictable things you could probably uh, say. I could see that happening in a heartbeat. Um, Miguel Martins, not so sure, not so sure, but we'll see about that. Just, just one last piece of news that uh, oh. I want to cover before we go, um, and that is Lucas Sindrich, the other. Um, it's it's kind of been really interesting over the last week because we've been getting insight into the salaries of handball players and uh-huh. actually just just how high they really are. Uh, Lucas Sindrich, who has been kind of going through this contract dispute with Barcelona, Mundo Deportivo reported that they're very close to resolution. Essentially, Mirza Terzic, uh, sorry, um, Lucas Sindrich getting a payout for one year of his two years of contracts that he has left. And the salary level reported by Mundo Deportivo was €750,000. So again, right at the top of the handball game. 
uh, for Lucas Sindridge. But um, within that report, there is also news that he basically has a he has a um, a team lined up ready to take him, and that is really interesting. I, I wonder who exactly that is. You have a we've kind of talked about where where he could go. Um, my, my my money's on Zeget, right? They, they're looking to make it a, a big... Yeah, you'd think so, Zeget, or it could be a massive curveball and he's going back to Zagreb. Do you reckon? That'd be, that'd be wacky, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be, that'd be pretty wild. Maybe. You know, that's... Um, uh, that would prove their spot in the Champions League or improve their position in the Champions League for sure. I mean, I think the, the club obviously would love to bring someone like that and it would be a bit of a marquee signing. And after all the the huffing and puffing that was done about them getting a Champions League spot maybe they want to make a bit of a statement but I, I, I would think he would suit a team like Zeged very well and uh, I mean there are question marks about him being physically able or physically up to like he doesn't seem to be physically in the same shape as he used to be so maybe he would be looking for uh, maybe something maybe something like right, like uh, Zeged would suit him um, but I think yeah Zeged is a good shout alright anywhere else you could, Im- you could envision him playing like I, I was thinking, like even someone like Keel, you uh-huh. know, they they're, you know, okay, they they made some younger signings, but it's it feels like Keel have uh, dropped a level going into the season behind Flensburg, and I wonder what, with the signings that Flensburg have made, and I was just thinking, you know, maybe they want a short term solution while you know the skipper gets up to speed. In in Kiel, you know they don't want to rely so much on a a twenty year old Faroese player, but uh, th- that could be a- another interesting one. Hey, could be just Melsungen, you know Melsungen. <laughs> <can't>, yeah, <laughs> getting their checkbook out once again. Yeah, but it would be wild. Yeah. Imagine if he went to Saudi Arabia as well. That that would. Oh my god. I mean that would be huge. Then, then we'd have to do a whole new podcast about that topic. I think because then it would be clear that uh, the warning signs were were real. If Fuchs of Berlin can somehow make it happen, they really need a player in the backcourt. So they lost Jakob Holm to um, PSG, and they were really hoping on signing Andre Gomes. Um, I or they're trying to sign Andre Gomes to bolster that backcourt, and that obviously didn't happen. I think Fuchs of Berlin are in a little bit of trouble this season their only playmaker right now is uh, Niels Lichtlein who was the under 21's um, world championship MVP but their backcourt losing Jakob Holm and Paul Drucks who's still injured is looking a bit thin and I think they already made this kind of big investment in Giesel that they probably do need to do something to, to bolster that backcourt or else you know, they're just going to suffer in the Bundesliga. Like, there's so many good teams that they're just going to end up in the European League again, and that's that's not their ambition. So, um, a few few teams to look out for uh, with Lucas Indrich. Yeah, Sindrich and Fuchs is a, a a tasty a tasty thought, isn't it? All right, I think we'll leave it there then for today. Uh, thanks, Alex. We'll be back again soon. I know that as you said at the top of the hour, I think it's. Uh, a little bit up and down when we're off when we're recording these things with uh, with everyone away and different things going on in the summer. But we'll we'll try to be as regular as possible. Good night. Good night. Good <laughs> goodbye. night. Good night and goodbye. <laughs>
Good night, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>